0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Aloha, kākau, fa'alovalaiatu, and a good morning. I'm your host Engitupau, and this is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Hope your morning is going well. Today on the show, nearly two years on and the people of Tonga are still being impacted by the Hungatonga Tonga Apai volcanic eruption. We've got updates on tropical cyclone Lola and we'll get the latest on the political drama in Fiji. For more on these stories, simply stay tuned. I'm Aggie Tubau and this is Pacific Beat. Firstly, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is currently in the US in a bid to strengthen Indo-Pacific relationships, specifically to improve Pacific infrastructure. Speaking at a press conference at the White House hosted by US President Joe Biden, Albanese announced a joint US-Australian deal that will see undersea cables power internet access to at least eight Pacific Island nations.
0: Australia and America are supporting the connectivity of the region and today we announce the new funding for subsea cables in the Pacific, further support for infrastructure development, including efforts to increase the Pacific's access to financing and that we'll work together through a new Pacific Banking Forum to ensure that our friends in the Pacific maintain access to the global financial system.
1: And that's Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Now the Alphabet Google Project will now reach Kiribati, the Marshall Islands, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Timor-Leste, Tuvalu and Vanuatu. Now, almost two years on from the Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai volcano eruption, its impacts are still being felt in the Kingdom of Tonga. The cleanup continues, and its economic, environmental and social impacts are ongoing. And as the ABC's Tonga reporter Marion Gopal found out, it is also having a major impact on a critical part of life.
2: When Tonga's Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai volcano erupted in January last year, it sent a massive ash bloom into the sky. When that ash settled in Tonga, it was described as a thick black snow. Some areas are still no-go zones, and many Tongans will never be able to go back to their home islands. But for those, the main islands of Tonga Tapu, it is also having an uninspected impact. In the past few weeks or months, We've had a lot of disruptions with the power. Business owner Sephiro Norris works on the main island, Tongatapu, running a tourism business, hosting up to 30 guests. She also runs a digital agency company, and she needs power. It has been very challenging for us because it means uh, not only it's disruptive for our guests, lost news, um, and also um, just our personal lives as well. It's just, you know, it's a lot to deal with. Um, Everything during the blackout. These blackouts aren't normal. They are results of the corrosive ash created during last year's eruption. Tonga Power has confirmed ash solidified on the power cables and has been eating away the power lines and damaging the cables inside. Tonga Power business manager Aintu Gautoke says, despite the country-wide cleanup, the ash has solidified to a substance similar to cement.
3: Over time, uh, this is lead. This leads to increased friction, especially during windy times and the sun, the heat, all adds up um, with the corrosive nature of the ash. Eventually wears out the insulation of the cable, which then causes short circuits around the network, causing intermittent power outages.
2: He says the outage takes time to pick up because the network is monitored manually and fixing the problem is even more of an issue with drones and thermal imagery required.
3: To try and put, uh, pinpoint the potential uh, areas where there's a, there's a large buildup up of, of uh, volcanic ash, uh, solidified uh, volcanic ash.
2: Mr. Kautoke says they are working on a plan to replace the faulty cables and clean up the rest of the ash, but it's expensive and it takes time. In the meantime, they have bad news for the people of Tonga. Business owner Sefra Norris just wants government to fix it for good. Tonga's a very small nation. I think it's very important that Tonga power and also the government, I think for them, should prioritise this issue.
1: And that's ABC's Tonga reporter, Marion Gopal, bringing you that story with additional reporting and production support from Talia Auli Etia.
0: Pacific Beat.
1: Welcome back. After wreaking havoc on Vanuatu's northern islands, Sucklandola is now making its way towards New Caledonia. But it's left behind a trail of destruction, with reports of destroyed schools, homes and food crops. For the latest, we're joined by Leah Lonbu, the ABC's reporter in Vanuatu and a member of the Vanuatu Broadcasting Television Corporation. With that I say good morning, Leah. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for always joining us, Ali, and updating us because the focus of the cyclone uh, was in the Northern Islands. Uh, Any information that's come through, maybe, about the scale of the damage?
4: Um Yes, so we've uh, able to contact some of the people on the ground who have been using uh, satellite networks. We know the other two a big uh, network here uh, in Vanuatu, Digicel and Photophone network was down uh, since the cyclone passed uh, Panama province and Malamba province. Uh, yesterday. So we've been able to uh, communicate it through satellite uh, phones and um, uh, people have reported major, major damages, especially to vegetation, but also a lot of people have been uh, left without homes, Uh, major damage to homes and uh, schools in Pentecost. We have been able to get updates there and also on Ambi Island, uh, many damages to school uh, despite uh, uh, their permanent Buildings. They've been um, sustained major damages to these uh, buildings, and even in Malekula, most of uh, the people there um, lost have lost their homes due to the to the
1: to the cyclone. Mm. Leah, any reports of any casualties, though?
4: no currently we haven't uh, uh, gotten any reports of any casualty uh, most of the reports that came in said people are safe we've received some unconfirmed report but it's yet to uh, follow up on uh, today
1: what's the government's response been so far
4: so I think uh, um, when the cyclone uh, is in Tolba province, the Prime Minister uh, did come out to the public to uh, uh, make a statement, but it's also assuring the public that uh, there will be uh, immediate support from the government as soon as the uh, cyclone uh, and the system leaves uh, areas or in Vanuatu uh, territory, the, Government will provide immediate uh, assessment and uh, response to uh, people who are in need. Mm.
1: Leah, Vanuatu's urban centres like Port Vila and Luganville they've been spared this time around. So, what's been the reaction of the people in the capital to the storm?
4: Yeah, definitely, it's it's a relief. I, I mean, this morning we've spoken to NDMO. Um, a scientific officer um, the, from the media office and he's confirmed that the cyclone is now an ex-cyclone and it's now returned to a, um, a tropical low. It's no longer a cyclone and no more threat for uh, especially Port Villa people from Port and also tafia province uh, who have experienced the cyclone um, Kevin and Judy earlier on and uh, many were really worried about the cyclone coming to, to the two provinces uh, And uh, but it's uh, definitely Definitely a relief uh, for Portville and also Loganville in Tafia province.
1: Mm, absolutely. Uh, you're listening into Pacific Beat. I'm your host, Aggie Dubow. talking to me as Vanuatu journalist, Leah Lohanbou. Leah, again, Prime Minister at Shalu spoke to the media yesterday. Uh, can you share what his message mm-hmm. was to the people of Vanuatu?
4: And yes, he also he mentioned about uh, rapid assessment and support from the government coming in to support people uh, at this time. Uh, um, and yes, with uh, the NDMO, NDMO, they've already predicted that major damages will happen in the provinces in the north. So the government. Uh, is aware of that and they're already uh, planning to do assessments and uh, provide emergency support to, to communities and most of them are in uh, need for shelter at this time. Um, many of the, these uh, communities were affected by cyclone, but yeah, the Prime Minister has come out to just assure the public that the, the government will provide immediate support to people.
1: Mm. And with that rapid assessment, though, Leah, is is that in the sense of food? Would food be the most important thing at the moment, and water? Um,
4: uh, normally, that should be the the main main uh, support going down. But uh, uh, I think from uh, Cyclone Judy and Kevin, uh, the most uh, uh, needed thing right after the cyclone is actually shelter. And yeah, a lot of people hopes that uh, that. Would be the immediate responder to the people uh, affected in the in, in in the in the communities and in, uh, in the northern northern province.
1: Mm. I'm wondering, has the government actually mentioned anything about international response to Cyclone Lola?
4: Yeah, definitely uh, has. Uh, uh, reconfirmed that it's uh, normal to have uh, the uh, partners. Uh, international support during uh, cyclones and uh, today I think there's going to be a surveillance to the uh, affected provinces and uh, that will be supported by New Zealand Air Force and uh, we believe that the Prime Minister will be on that uh, surveillance, uh, part of that surveillance going to the northern province today.
1: Uh I can only assume or understand that there is a sense of worry amongst people, you know, that there is possibly more cyclones ahead because considering cyclone season doesn't start till next week, is that something, is that a fair assessment?
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely it's 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 a worry, but uh, um, there's a message going out that people just need to prepare uh, for the cyclone, uh, the uh, VMGD uh, are predicting um uh, Four cyclones uh, this season, but uh, it's definitely definitely a worry for the people.
1: Uh, Leah, look, as a journalist yourself, I know the work that we do and your job is to report on these things, but how have you and your family been doing during this time?
4: Um, yeah, um, great. They're doing great. Um, preparation is very important, so we're prepared in advance and uh, uh, we, uh I have to make sure that the, the home and uh, my family is safe before I be able to come and do, do my work.
1: Absolutely. Leah, thank you very much mm-hmm. for all the work that you do. And please stay safe. And we just thank send you. our love there to Vanuatu. Thank you. Thank no, you, Thomas. No worries. That is Leah Loanbu, ABC's reporter in Vanuatu and a member of the Vanuatu Broadcasting Television Corporation. Uh, stay tuned as we'll have your news wrap up with Producers Tali Auli Tia very shortly, right here on Pacific Beat. Absolutely, it is that time where we get to head around the region, check what is happening, and of course that is brought with our news wrap by producer Talia Luitia. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, thank you, Aggie. <laughs> there seems to be quite a few things though happening in the Pacific. Always. Uh, we start off with an unexploded bomb. Ordnance and PNG explodes. Goodness. Yeah,
5: Post Courier is reporting that residents in Sunnybird in East New Britain province woke to the sound of an explosion from an unexploded ordnance, a remnant remnant from World War II. At a nearby Bolsa factory, one woman was left with minor head injuries and damage was caused to properties 200 metres from the explosion site. A spokesperson for the Bolsa factory said work had been put on hold for further investigations into the matter and residents who have had their property damaged are demanding compensation but as we well know with this it's difficult to hold those uh, accountable responsible. My goodness thank you for sharing that though. Uh, Fiji is a signature to a joint declaration against China. Yeah this is an interesting one because Fiji is among 51 United Nation member countries that have issued a joint declaration calling out the Chinese government to address serious human rights violations in the Xinjiang um, region against Uyghurs and other Turk communities. Now the other Pacific nations who also condemned China were Australia, New Zealand, Nauru, Palau, Marshall Islands and Tuvalu. Of course, this is interesting because Nauru, Palau, Marshall Islands and Tuvalu all have diplomatic ties with um, Taiwan, whereas Fiji recognises China. Now, since taking office, Fiji's Prime Minister, Sidoveni Rambuka, has been open about the country's relationship with China under his government. The statement was delivered to the UN General Assembly and speaking of the UN, a new report shows the plan is reaching a, quote, catastrophic tipping point of irreversible damage as humans continue to exploit natural resources necessary for survival. The authors of the Interconnected Disaster Risk Report say that by knowing these thresholds are looming, that we have the opportunity to avert the worst effects and to be able to deal with the climate change. It's just a question of will we?
1: That's right. Gosh. (laughs) I look at this last one and I think, wow, a French museum has fixed a waxwork of my husband. Oh, sorry, no, the rock falling criticism.
5: (laughs) Yes, that's right. French museum and a... Um, uh, Apologise for my terrible French. Le Musée Grévin has fixed a waxwork of Dwayne the Rock Johnson after he complained about it on social media. Now, pictures of the life-size figure had been making the rounds on the internet, accusing the museum of whitewashing the wrestler-turned actor. I have to admit, I also referred to him as a Palangi Rock. And then, 24 hours after the Rock reached out to the museum to update it to include, quote, some important details and improvements, starting off with my skin colour. The museum went to work to, quote, remedy the skin tone of the figure. How you get that wrong is beyond me. The statue was then reinstalled with a more realistic skin tone yesterday. The museum owner says Dwayne Johnson has promised to visit the museum the next time he's in Paris and they open any other suggestion for other adjustments as well.
1: Goodness, I don't know what to say about that. But hey, now that it is the right colour, he can represent the Pacific, absolutely. But thank okay. you again, Tania, for bringing our news wrap this you. morning. Hey, look, still to come on the show, uh, just a pre-warning that a story we'll be sharing can be sensitive to many audiences. We will be focusing on mental health and suicide. We will have the latest on political drama in Fiji, but up shortly, a new Netflix documentary featuring Sydney's rap group 1-4. You're tuning into Pacific Beat.
6: Kick off your Sunday with Sosafina for Morley on Pacific Sundays right here on ABC Radio Australia. Pacific Sundays is a laid back weekly wrap of all things Pacific from news, sport and entertainment to the best island music vibes. So whether you're chilling out, heading off to church or catching up with family, be entertained as you do it with Pacific Sundays. Every Sunday at 6am PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Welcome back to Pacific Beat. This is Aggie Tupou, your host. Uh, Love them or hate them. Drill Group 1-4 know how to get people talking. The group from Western Sydney, who are of Samoan descent, have millions of people around the world watching their songs and are even ARIA nominees. But despite trying to turn their lives around, they continue to be on the radar of New South Wales Police. It's all covered in a new Netflix documentary, 1-4, against all odds. Talia Aulitia has the story and it comes with a language warning.
5: Uh-huh. One force started recording music to get out from a life Aye. of crime.
7: In the beginning...
5: For the Samoan members, JMs, YP, Selly, Lex and Spenny, growing up in the western Sydney suburb of Mount Druitt, drill rap became an escape from the streets, a way to provide for their families and a path to redemption. And they were really good at it. Their music attracted lots of international attention very quickly. But just as they began their lightning rise to fame and were about to embark on their first national tour, the group found themselves targeted by the New South Wales police. The new Netflix documentary, One Four Against All Odds, tells their story from their side.
1: We've
3: always had run-ins with police growing up around it, we got sucked into it. There's nothing unique
7: about art that talks about violence, but for some reason when it comes to hip-hop, we're having that debate all over again, and I think it's because of who's telling that story.
5: For filmmaker Gabriel Gasparinatos, the documentary marks his directorial debut.
7: So blown away by the talent that they had um, and the type of music that they were making it was unlike anything I'd ever heard coming out of you know Australia before but as the story developed and it became about so much more than music I was really interested in telling the story because I just found there was so much ultimately injustice in the way that they were being treated there was something really kind of shocking around the way in which the New South Wales police were engaging with them so I think that became the bigger driver behind making this film was seeing this injustice and and, and also give this human side to one for something that they had been missing from a lot of the media coverage Around them. A lot of the coverage aren't focused on the on the music or the negativity. And as I got to know the group and their community, I found that that human side, that face of who they really are as people was completely missing. And I think it was so important to be able to tell that. So we wanted to make a film that really dove deep into more than just them as artists or them as controversial figures, but them as, as people.
5: Just like the drill music 1-4 makes, the documentary can also at times be confronting. The group have repeatedly said that they are not involved in gang violence, they just rap about their environment. And in Against All Odds... JMs, YP and Spenny talk openly about their experiences of growing up in poverty and they also talk about their run-ins with the law, including the affray at a Rudy Hill pub in 2018 that saw three group members, including YP, serve time behind bars. It
6: wasn't a question, you know. I practically did what I felt was right at the time in this, yeah. Could have been a lot different. We could have went and spoke to him, but that was just the way we... We handled it. We didn't know how to talk back then.
5: The time in jail furthered YP's resolve to turn his life around and focus on the music.
6: 23 hours in a cell, one hour yard time That shit gave me plenty of time to reflect
5: the specialised New South Wales Task Force Strike Force Raptor though were relentless. Raptor, who were normally involved in cracking down on outlaw motorcycle gangs, went after the group over their links to previous crime and the police's belief that their songs could incite violence. This constant police pressure saw the cancellation of gigs, frequent raids on their family homes, non-association orders and more. As Gabriel followed the group to make the documentary, he caught the full heart and the impact of that ongoing police pressure.
3: My parents were getting searched everywhere they go. Like They'll drive down the road and they'll get stopped. When you go through shit, it's not just you that goes through it. You go full with your family, you know. When my house gets raided, who's in the house? It's my
2: family. Everything's turned upside down, even the rubbish bins, pot plants, everything. My daughter was 14. She was walking towards the front of the house when they came in and they had rifles at her and she was crying and all well, she's saying is like, don't you my dog, don't you my dog?
7: When I first met James and YP's mum in the home, and she told me about the way in which the house raids affected her, I think that made the story so much bigger than what it currently was to us. Because to us or to what people knew, it was this group of rappers are being affected or targeted by this task force. that you know their their, their business of being musicians is being impeded. But when it became about the families, and when we realised the actual broader impact it had on their on their parents and their siblings, I think that was. I mean, really challenging and yeah, confronting to see. Um, and I definitely felt a, a, a duty or a responsibility towards one OneFour and to their community as a whole to tell the story and to get it seen by as big a platform as we could because it's, you know, it's, it's confronting and challenging, but it's, it's, and, and, and it's upsetting that this is still happening in this day to these guys that are just trying to make something good of themselves.
5: That overwhelming sense of injustice was reinforced at the South by Southwest Festival last week ahead of its Netflix release. On a Monday night in Sydney, police were there in their riot vests and metal detectors. ABC music journalist and broadcaster Sosafina Fuamoli was also there at the screening. You know, it was painfully ironic
6: there was such a heavy police presence outside of that theatre even inside of that theatre, as I've come to learn, was really shocking and confronting. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh, now I get what 1-4 went through, because I don't, and that's my privilege. But it was really unsettling, and it was really unnerving. And it, yeah, it made me angry. I was just like, I don't know if Nicole Kidman's film screening was getting this sort of presence.
5: Can you tell me about when you were having a conversation with one of the group's members' grandmothers and yeah. feeling that presence? Yeah, yeah.
6: So, there, like I said, there were a lot of family members who were there and um, it's such a it's, – it's like a reflex action. <laughs> I was seeing our elders, you go over and, and you pay your respects and I just wanted to congratulate her on the screening but also just on, on how every, you know, the fact that all the boys are out now they're, and they're really fo- trying to focus on the music and, you know, it was such a big thing for the family and these are very quietly spoken people, you know, these are elderly people and then to just to look over her shoulder and see, again, these two police officers just, again, not being menacing but just making it known that they were there I I just thought to myself well, this is so silly, like for what? Yeah I grew up
7: that's home in a brave out uh, here we are one with the cops like blacks but this ain't home in a
5: If anything, it's just ramped up the buzz for the documentary ahead of its release, with commentary on social media excited about what it means for Pacific representation. In the documentary, the group talks about the expectation of Pacific men as amounting to just, quote, footy, factories or prison. This documentary, being shown on one of the biggest streaming services in the world, hopes to bring something new – A new wave of representation and, despite everything, a hopeful optimism for the future.
6: It's in their successes that they're trying to break generational trauma. And I think for our people and for especially the younger generations of mixed Samoan kids who are growing up here who, you know, they're only growing up seeing the bad things, so they're automatically thinking that, maybe that's all that they can achieve. To see something like this landing on Netflix is massive. I feel like having something like this out there is going to do so many good things for just legitimising a brown presence in a very white Australian media. So I'm here for it. I, you know, even if this music isn't necessarily your bag, which is so fine, I feel like everybody's going to appreciate the storytelling and the way that it paints a really honest portrait of what it can be like um, growing up in Australian society but also sort of breaking those chains and trying to do better.
3: You know there's a lot more to lose if you lose, so we can't lose.
1: Talia Auliti reporting there.
5: You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Hey, you okay, bro? Talk to me, bro. That's how a simple conversation starter goes if you're concerned about someone's mental health. But for many men, only one in four seek help. When it comes to Indigenous Pacifica men in Australia and around the world, they are four times more at risk of suicide or experience suicidal thoughts. So the team at Talk to Me Bro in Sydney are wanting to normalise the concept of seeking help. Talk to Me Bro group facilitator Fred Purcell believes these numbers can be reduced through early intervention.
3: Men account for 75% of all suicide. That's not just in Australia, that's worldwide. In, and we also know that in Indigenous cultures, the, the stats are four times higher. Um, so that's for our, any Indigenous people around the world. In, as late as 2020, we were number two in the Pacific per capita for suicide rates. There's also 65,000 attempted suicides every year in Australia alone. So it's uh, it's like a silent pandemic that no one no one's openly talking about, and especially when we talk about government campaigns and things like that. You talk to me about one of those organisations that has the goal of bringing suicide to zero as we feel it's something that's totally preventable with good conversations and, and breaking down the stigma around men and them not being able to talk about their their feelings, their emotions, or or just when they're going through hard times.
1: Where does one really start to open up that conversation? It's in the home. It's 100% in the home.
3: And if we can have healthier conversations in the home, that's the first community we're a part of. And if we can strengthen those conversations in the home, then we can strengthen the communities. Um, It's definitely something that, as a Samoan man, it was hard to talk about at home. In Pacifica cultures in general, Uh, It's a very taboo subject around mental health and, in particular, suicide. The landscape's changed, though, so we have a lot more resources and and information at the hand than our parents and our grandparents had. And it's just about collaboration and and organisations working together to, to help break down that stigma to break down those cycles
1: do you have any tips or any sort of like conversation starters to to, you know to create that space within home
3: first of all you got to notice some signs when people are a little bit off so when we talk about mental health from a talk to me bro perspective it's about recognizing the signs in the people closest to us because we know when they're when they're a little bit off if we can tackle that conversation when they're a little bit off then it's definitely easier to deal with the bigger problem and so you know maybe your family members the life of the party they're always bubbly outgoing but for some reason they're a little bit quiet today definitely something that we can pick up the conversation there hey bro we all good everything all right talk to me bro yeah so suicide is the leading killer of males aged 15 to 45 and in particular through the pandemic it became higher also in our older generations. I guess one of the things that we can do individually is just acknowledge that, like, we are a little bit off. It's okay to to feel down or to feel angry or to feel low, but, you know, it's it's then what we do with those emotions that can help us out of it.
1: Fred, why are you so invested and so passionate about this cause?
3: Uh, (laughs) I've lost seven of my own to suicide. Yeah, so it's... Something I commonly share is uh, I fight this battle for those of mine that couldn't and do all I can to try and help um, not only our people but anyone in general just choose life really. When we talk of our cultural values amongst the Pacifica people, like we talk about family, God, respect, and I talk about those things. Why is it so many of our young people are being affected by suicide? I'm passionate about, especially amongst our people. So I can change the discussion from reactive to a preventative, and just giving people the tools so they can feel like they can handle those hard conversations.
1: You and me both. I understand that <laughs> That's seven too many lives uh, yeah. for people who have, you know, lost their lives to suicide. One thing that has come up in certain conversations I've had around this is the the notion of a safe space. What is your take on that? Because I know often people thought they were in a safe space. And then it wasn't.
3: And this is going to be hard to say because it's our own, but a lot of our homes haven't been safe places. For I know my generation, I'm 42. My generation, probably my parents' generation, we're exposed to a lot of abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse. When we're coming home to a place that's not really safe, there's no chance of a conversation being had in that place. If they don't have anywhere else to go, then a lot of those stories have, have died with our loved ones. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we could do better in terms of making safe spaces more safe. The older generation has never had that, so they did the best with what they had. And I, I know a lot of my generation in particular blame our parents for what's happened, but it's um, it's not about blaming, it's about learning. They're a big part of who we are and what we do as a culture. In all Pacifica cultures, our elders are, are nearly everything. If we can't build stronger conversations around this with them, then we've already lost the battle.
1: But with the programme, has it been able to sort of help with like any policy changes within the state that you guys serve in?
3: We've been able to sit with Camden Council and Campbelltown Council, City Council in particular, at the forefront when we're talking about trying to change legislation. They've got some great local MPs there who do so much uh, for the community to try and help change legislation. I've been pretty vocal about how our governments can do more I feel like we have campaigns and slogans every year for the road toll, for smoking, for drugs, for gambling, and you know we we don't have anything for suicide. It's not something they can make revenue off. In actual fact, suicide accounts for three times the road toll. You know, other than Are You Okay, which is an organisation themselves that put out their own campaign. So you know, I just feel we're in early stages in terms of getting legislation changed, but. I know that there are government, local government MPs who are really lobbying for things to change on the legality level so that we can make more systemic change uh, when it comes to mental health.
1: To our listeners, what would you say to them if someone is going through a really dark time? Hang in there. Help's on
3: the way, really. Everyone is at war with something different, which is one of our, our slogans. It's important that the brothers don't let the brothers fight alone when it comes to mental well-being. It's important that we we don't struggle in silence and that we reach out for help.
1: And that's Talk To Me Bro Group Facilitator, Fred Purcell. Now, if you or anyone you know needs help Australia, you can call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 PNG 1 Talk Counselling and Help In Line for counselling five zero eight thousand 8000 and Lifeline VG 1543. Mm-hmm. Now, over the past two weeks, Fiji has been in the grips of a political drama. An attempt to reshuffle his cabinet failed to get off the ground, and it seemed Prime Minister Seteveni Rambuka would be backing down after the military intervened in his plans to appoint a new Attorney-General. But yesterday, a defiant Rambuka said he'll make the decision when he's ready.
8: We have enough advice on that for me to make the, the, uh, the substantive announcement on that one. And I will have taken uh, the advice of the uh, Fiji Law Society and other uh, private uh, legal practitioners that have been uh, requested by the Solicitor General's Office and also from the Solicitor General's Office. All those come to, the, to my assessment, my appreciation of the situation, and I will make a decision. Uh, and an- I will announce the decision when the time is right.
1: Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka there. So joining us now to chat about the latest in Fiji politics is ABC's reporter in Silva. It's Live Movonov Yandra Lide? Yandra Vinaka Agnes. Absolutely. What do you make of Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka's stance on this cabinet reshuffle? I mean, and even the appointment of a new Attorney General.
8: Well look as, as if that particular uh, press conference yesterday was not controversial enough, he went on last night and spoke to um, Fijian journalist Orion on Communications Fiji Limited, and it was even more controversial, because now the prime minister is saying there will be no reshuffle. He uh, explains what happened, and that is that he was not happy with the performance of his attorney general, Zero Turanga, and other ministers in the cabinet, and wanted some change and he's saying that the advice he got, and alludes to it being given by Filamoni um his preferred candidate for the position of Attorney General, um, he said that he thought it was okay. And now the stance is, we are a government who listens. We have listened to your opposition to this appointment, and so there will not be any reshuffle. That is the gist of um, a very long interview that he had uh, li-
1: live last night at (laughs) Um, But is there any hint on when this announcement would be made?
8: Well, what we now um, can deduce or can can read from what you said last night is there will not be an announcement. All of the ministers who were um, earmarked for a reshuffle are staying in their position and actually, except for the minister who is moving into the education portfolio, everyone else has stuck to their guns and hadn't moved away from their, from their cabinet positions. And so now he's saying there won't be. There will be no reshuffle.
1: Neither is the lands minister, though, Filimoni Vosarongo, is he still the lead candidate to be AG? Or?
8: Yes, Rombuka made that very clear, uh, both in the afternoon press conference and then in the evening, that he had, from the beginning, wanted Filimoni Vosarongo to be his attorney general, but knew there were some, what he calls, issues. And so those issues are basically um, professional misconduct on the part of Vosarongo over the last several years. And so now that's on hold. He's saying that the advice he's gotten from the Fiji Law Society and from the commander of the the Republic of Fiji Military Forces um, is that the appointments may not be legal. And so he said he's gotten the legal advice he wanted and he listens to the people and so there's not going to be a reshuffle anytime soon.
1: Uh, I've read where he has said Rambuka has consulted he did consult Minister for Landsville who had said that there were a few things that they needed to straighten out do you know what those things that they needed to straighten out
8: well, that's basically um, the Independent Legal Services Commission. It's a, a body that the previous government had put in under the 2013 constitution, which, as you know, is is quite a controversial constitution for us. And um, Vossironga was convicted on three uh, citations of professional misconduct. And so, under the 2013 constitution that was brought in by the previous government, no one that has been convicted by this Independent Legal Services Commission can ascend to the position. Attorney General. So um, apparently Rambuka is taking that advice now.
1: Mm. Uh, you're listening into Pacific Beat. I'm your host, Egi Dubon. On the line with me from Fiji is Lidhe Mavono, uh, ABC's reporter there. So Lidhe, have other political parties said anything about this current political situation?
8: Well, absolutely. Everyone has had a say. Um, the SUDELPA, the smallest party in this People's Coalition, um, was one of the first people to go um, on social media, you know, for everyone from their Secretary General all the way down to ordinary members of the party, to say, we were not consulted, this was not something that we discussed, and um, as Professor John Franklin uh, Frankl said on, you know, on the show last week, Um, The consultation continues to happen between the parties, so um, people have expressed the disappointments, people from within the coalition. The National Federation Party, however, have remained quiet throughout this whole process, but ordinary members of the public have expressed concern at what they saw as a defiance on the part of the Prime Minister and the part of Telemony Vassarongo over his suitability for this position. Now, Agnes, it's not just him, there's a judge and there's also the Director of Public Prosecutor whose appointments are being questioned by the Fiji Law Society and the League of Fraternity here. So what Rumbuka is saying is I'm a Prime Minister who listens and so I have listened so there are no changes.
1: Okay so you can confirm that the relations that he currently has with coalition partners, Sidelpha, People's Alliance, National Federation Party, they're just all staying quiet is it?
8: Um, Well, Sidelpa uh, was um, uh, uh, upset about not being consulted, but now that they returned to their uh, preferred portfolios, everyone's kept quiet. However, everyone else in NPG has expressed concern because this was something that, um, you know, was synonymous with the previous government, uh, a flouting of the law. So it looks as if Rembuka has avoided his first major um, uh, cracks in his cabinet.
1: Wow. And when we see political drama like this, what really is the reaction from the public, the people? How are they addressing this? Well, people
8: were concerned. People saw um, what they saw as Rambuka's defiance of the law because, you know, although a lot of people have questioned the 2013 Constitution and the way it was brought in, everyone agrees it is the law that we've all, you know, uh, been working under for at least a decade or so. And so um, uh, I think what Rambuka did last night is going to allay a lot of fears as to the way in which this government is going to operate.
1: And that's the thing, though, moving forward, where to now? I know he says there's not going to be any announcement, but any any insight? Well, we do
8: know, though, that... In the midst of all of this, there is one appointment that stands, and that is the removal of Minister for Women, Linda Tambuya, from the position of Leader of Government Business. That will remain. Linda Tambuya now uh, reverts to being um, just a Cabinet Minister, and the new Leader of Government Business is Rafi Lipetisoao. So, what we're seeing is movement within the People's Coalition Party. Uh, Rambuka has openly said that he has not been happy with the performance of some of his ministers, and that in the future, those ministers can expect to be reprimanded or moved around uh, for non-performance. And that's something that he is allowing us, the public, to see as it moves on. So we may not see a new Attorney-General anytime soon, but we can expect reshuffles as and when uh, the Prime Minister is um, unhappy with
1: the performance of his ministers. Oh, can I quickly just ask, in, in response to that, uh, saying that Linda Tabuya uh Has that sparked any response from groups in regards to women in government?
8: Well, absolutely. Uh, the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre, who are really um, the lead organisation in uh, both the women's space as well as the human rights space in Fiji and in the region, have come out in support of Linda and uh, demanded an explanation from the Prime Minister. Given that Linda is seen as the most powerful, or, or rather, the, the leading women's politician in Fiji, having polled higher than anyone, any other woman, and um, in the top five in the in the previous two general elections, so. What Chamima Ali and the Women's Crisis Centre is demanding of, of the Prime Minister is an explanation for that. They see Linda as an important inclusion of the women's voice in this government. So what uh, Ramboke did last night was break it down for people, that it was a procedural issue. They have not been happy with the way Linda has um, organized the the order of parliament, how parliament has run in the last few sessions, and he said he saw fit to bring in someone else to test to see if someone else might be good in that position. So um, it's too early now to tell if that will make the women's groups happy, uh, but it's certainly uh, an insight into the way government is run that um, this country has not seen for a very long time.
1: Mm. Lide, look, really appreciate you sharing with us this morning. Uh, Love your work. Thank you. Good to talk. (laughs) No worries. That is Lide Mwavono, ABC's reporter in Fiji. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. Uh, let's take a look at one of our main stories today. A joint deal between US and Australia will see Google expand an existing commercial project to run undersea cables to the nations of Micronesia, Kiribati, Marshall Islands, PNG, Solomon Islands, Timor-Leste, Tuvalu and Vanuatu. Canberra will contribute $50 million and Washington is adding another $15 million. The announcement comes amid China competition.
0: Australia and America are supporting the connectivity of the region and today we announced a new funding for subsea cables in the Pacific, further support for infrastructure development, including efforts to increase the Pacific's access to financing and that we'll work together through a new Pacific Banking Forum to ensure that our friends in the Pacific maintain access to the global financial system.
1: And that is Pacific Beat.